Do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Psalm 105. Psalm 105, it's on page 487 in the Bibles that we have here down by your feet. So if you grabbed one of those, you can get with me to Psalm 105. We're doing a series right now, the Jesus Storybook Bible. So we are, over the course of 11 weeks, making our way through the entire storyline of Scripture. Now that means we leave a lot out, but we're trying to highlight some of those significant ones that show up in here and that help us to really understand the, the plan of God, the promised plan of God. And so that's what we're up to. So if you don't have one of these yet, you can grab one in the lobby. They're five bucks a piece. You can get one of these. Um, you can be reading it at home. Uh, if you have kids, great, read it with them. If you don't have kids, we're saying even adults, like this is a good thing for us to do together. And so there are about four readings per week. Um, and uh, you can get, grab the study guide that'll walk you through the four readings. And then on Sunday mornings, we come together and we jump into the Bible together and we're really trying to um, pull it all together on Sunday mornings. We're trying to have a sermon that complements the things that you'll be reading so that you begin to see how all of these stories help us to understand our Savior better and we'll begin to see how all of them relate to one another and help us to see uh, that it really is just one big story that God has told. So let me go ahead and read Psalm 105 verses 16 to 23. Uh, we'll read it together, we'll pray, and then we'll get to work. Psalm 105, starting in verse 16. He, talking about God, called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles, his neck was put in irons, till what, was, till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of, peop of the people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel entered Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, right now as we open the word, we want to open our hearts. We want you to speak to us, God, by your word. By your spirit, God, speak to us. We want to hear your voice loud and clear. And we want for this event, this moment, as we've listened in, we want it to change us. We, we want to become more aware of our Savior, who he is and what he's done. And Lord, we want to be changed people. We want to be walking by faith in the Son of God. So that's beyond my skill set. That's beyond any of us, Lord. So we're looking to you. Would you please accomplish what you want to accomplish in this moment? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the story, as we've been tra tracking with it, God has been making promises. Sin was the major issue that we recognized right away. It shows up on the front end of the Bible that humanity has been made by God and for God, but we've rejected that calling and we've turned away from God and we've been dismissive of him. Like he doesn't matter to us. We want to we rule our own lives. And God began making promises of how he was going to reconcile the wor world and individuals to himself. He promised in Genesis 3.15 that Eve, uh, the mother of all mankind, was eventually going to have a seed, a child, who was going to undo the effects of the curse. We kept moving along and we found out that there was a guy named Abraham. That God looked at him and he said, you're my guy, you're my vehicle of blessing. You will be blessed so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. You will have descendants, you will have children, and God begins to explain that this old man is going to have a child and that that child is going to have many children, and those many children will become this nation, the nation of Israel. And, and we, we were tracking with him uh, just last week. 
And then we begin to wonder, okay, well, what happens next? How does the promise keep getting, keep moving forward? And um, we come to Joseph. Now, you know, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob becomes Israel, but Israel had 12 sons and Joseph is one of them. Okay, so we skipped over some stuff, a lot of stuff to be honest, but we skipped over some things and now we're landing in the story of Joseph and it's a long story. So I was looking at it and, and really it goes from Genesis chapter 37 all the way to Genesis chapter 50. It, it occupies a big chunk of territory in the Bible. So looking at it, I was like, well, we need something smaller, right? This one Sunday morning, it's a 30 minute message. How can we tackle the story of Joseph in this small amount of time that we have? Well, Psalm 105 does that for us. It kind of packages the story so that we can hear it and some of the significant elements of it. So Psalm 105 is, is, it comes later in the Bible, but it's retelling the story of Joseph. And what we find is that Joseph was sent by God, he was tested by God, and he was triumphant. And so we'll, we'll check that out in just a moment. Uh, but before we even do that, I want to tell, I want to sketch out the story of Joseph for you. Joseph was born into a large family. He had 11 brothers. He was the second youngest brother. And he began to have these dreams and he would tell people his dreams and they were symbolic. And, and essentially as the dream was told, they interpreted it and they recognized that Joseph was seeing in his dreams that one day everybody was going to bow down to him, that everyone was going to pay him respect and he was going to be in charge and, and, and his brothers and his mom and dad and the sun and the moon and the stars and everything is just kind of paying him respect because of his position of authority. Now he begins to tell people that dream and you guys, if you have a sibling, you can imagine how well that went. He says, you're going to, I'm going to rule over you. And he begins to tell this dream and the siblings say, we don't like you, right? They be, there's this tension within the relationship between Joseph and his siblings. Not only that, his dad plays favorites with him and his youngest brother, Benjamin, and he you know, because of that, the brothers have a lot of resentment and jealousy and hostility toward Joseph. And so one day the brothers are all away from home and they see Joseph coming toward them. And they say to themselves, to each other, let's kill him. We dislike this guy so much that we just, we want him gone. Why don't we kill him? And they throw him in, he comes up and they throw him in a pit. They take his, his jacket off of him, that, that robe that is dad gave to him and they take that thing away and they begin to kind of dialogue. What do we do with this dreamer? They decide, okay, well, let's not kill him. Let's profit from him. We'll sell him into slavery. And they do that. They sell him. Some traders come by. They sell Joseph into, into slavery. They take that coat. They dip it in blood. Then they bring it back to the father. And the father assumes he must have been torn by wild animals. But they were essentially saying, good riddance, dreamer. We, it will be okay if we never, ever see you again. But the story continues. God is with Joseph wherever he goes. He ends up in Potiphar's household and because of the favor of God, he ends up getting more and more responsibilities. He ends up being kind of in charge of Potiphar's household and, and Potiphar's wife takes notice of him because he's a handsome man and she begins to seduce him to try to make advances toward him and he rejects those advances, but that's embarrassing to her. So she accuses him. This Hebrew is trying to make sport of me, she begins to say. This Hebrew that you brought home is, is, is trying to, he's, he's trying to do something to me. And so he gets imprisoned for something he didn't do. 
He gets thrown into prison and he gets left there. And again, the story goes on. God is with him. And so everywhere he goes, the favor of God is on him. And he begins to have more and more responsibilities within the prison itself. And one day, a couple different individuals get thrown into the prison with him. They work for the king, for Pharaoh. One of them is the cupbearer who drinks the, the wine before the king does to test it out. The other one is a baker. And they have dreams while they're in prison. And Joseph, because God has given him favor and special ability, Joseph is able to interpret the dreams of both of these guys. He says, unfortunately, one of you is going to be executed, the baker. The other one is going to be lifted up. You will be released from prison. You will be reinstalled into your position. When you are there, please remember me. So the guy's like, this is wonderful. He gets freed. It all happens according to uh, how, how Joseph predicted, how Joseph prophesied. And then he gets forgotten again. And he's still in prison. And he's still there. And eventually, much later, the king begins having dreams. And the king is troubled by his dreams. And so he begins to ask around and say, is there anyone who can help me interpret these nightmares that I'm having, these, these terrifying dreams that I'm having? And then the cupbearer goes, oh yeah, there was a dude in the prison who interpreted my dream and the baker's dream and everything he, came, he said came true. Let's go get him. And so then Joseph is released and he becomes, he's able to tell the, the dream of the king and what it means. And he says, here's the deal. God has determined that there is going to be the season of plenty where the harvest is going to come in and it's going to be incredible. But immediately following that, there's going to be such a severe famine, a season of want that it will eclipse that, that season of plenty. We won't even remember it. And he says, I suggest to you, King, that you begin to store up for that time of want, that you begin to take the harvest and put it away and prepare because that, that famine is going to destroy and ravage everything. And the king says, okay, well, you're my guy then. You're in charge. I'm going to place you in charge of this whole project. You'll be second in command over all of Egypt. The only person who's more powerful than you is, the king is saying, is me. And so he gets released from prison and he gets put in this position. Many years pass by. This is still in the book of Genesis. And the brothers run out of food. And they hear that in Egypt, they can go there and buy grain. They can buy food. And so they make the trek and they finally come in contact with their long lost brother. And eventually because of the famine and its duration, Israel, the old man and all the sons end up moving to Egypt. Okay. They end up all moving to Egypt. Now, I wanted to get that story in front of us just so we have all the details there. Now I want to bring you back to Psalm 105 and begin to show you these three different handles because that was a long story. So what are three different things that we can hold on to that we can go, okay, what, what is this story about? And Psalm 105 interprets it for us. It tells us three different things about the Joseph narrative. Okay, the first one is Joseph was sent by God. Verses 16 and 17. The way that the Bible reads that story is to say God was in charge and he actually prepared this plan and he sent Joseph ahead. Not only was, was God kind of sparing the people, he's also in charge of the famine itself. Look at verse 16. God called down the famine on the land and he destroyed all their supplies of food. That's how the Bible would even 
interpret that event as saying that God was in charge start to finish so that every detail of the story was under his rulership, that he was the one who was orchestrating these things the way that they happened. Um, that they're there, right? That, that Israel, Joseph, his brothers all end up in Egypt. This isn't, this isn't like God saying, ooh, I had no idea that was going to happen. So now I'm making a revision to my plan. In fact, he told Abraham that this was going to happen. He told Abraham that all these things would happen this way, even before Abraham had Isaac, who had Jacob, who had the 12 sons, who had, you know, Joseph. All of this happened. Back in Genesis 15, we looked at it briefly last week, so I'm going to show it to you once more. In Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, this is God speaking to Abraham way before any of the Joseph events ever happened. He says, Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Hmm, isn't that fascinating? Before any of the events happen, we're, we're finding out that this was God's plan. Joseph was going to end up in Egypt. Israel's going to end up in Egypt. Eventually they become slaves, but God is saying, that's going to happen for 400 years, but after that's all said and done, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring them out, and they're going to plunder the land. They're going to have all these possessions. But here's what God is saying. Everything that's happening in the story, God is coordinating. God is in charge. He's that powerful that even the events in the life of Joseph, we can say he was sent. And that's how we read it in Psalm 105. Look at verse 17. God sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. You look at Joseph's life and you interpret it from the, the eyes of faith. What, what was happening there? Well, on the surface level, you say, man, his brothers hated him. He went through misfortune after misfortune. He went from one bad scenario to another. He was left for who knows how long. You can imagine how traumatic all of that was on him as an individual. All these things happen, but from the eyes of faith, here's how the Bible interprets it. God sent him. God sent Joseph ahead of them, sold as a slave. God was in charge. He sent them. Even within the story itself, Joseph understood that to be the case. Now, I'm sure early on in his experiences, he had a really hard time with what was happening. My brothers hate my guts. They sold me into slavery. I keep landing in these awful scenarios. But later on in the story, he begins to express that he understands. He begins to view it through the eyes of faith. And he's able to say, essentially, God sent me here. At the very end of the story in Genesis chapter 50, the, the father, Israel, Jacob, he passes away. And the brothers are very, very concerned at this point because they're thinking, okay, now that dad is gone, our brother who's in charge is going to be so mad at us that he's going he's to make us pay for what we did. And so they begin to try to position themselves to, to try to, you know, say that dad wanted them to do something. And, and, and he, Joseph speaks and he understands God did this. God was at work in all of these details. Listen to it. I'll put it up on the screen as well. Genesis 50 verse 20, it reads like this. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to, account, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So even within the story, Joseph is interpreting his life 
and everything that has happened. And he says, what you did was wicked. You were intending harm. You were intending evil. But here's what God did. He took that evil intention of yours and he turned it on its head. He took the evil there and he used it for good. What is being accomplished, the saving of many lives. He, here's what Joseph is essentially saying. God sent me here to save us. God sent me ahead of all of us so that I would be here, so that I would have this position of power, so that you guys would all bow down to me, but ultimately so that I would be able to provide for our people the food and the sustenance that they need. God is using me to save people. So he understood the sentness that he had. Now, I know it's kind of surprising because you read the story and you go, man, he just, it sounds awful. All right, maybe you're asking then, you're here this morning and you're, you're thinking, okay, Cor, that's a, that's a neat story. That's cool. I'm glad God was able to do that for Joseph, but you know, I'm, I'm here this morning and I'm just hanging on by a thread and I'm just here wondering, does God have a word for me? Does God have anything to say to me? I'm fine that that's a cool story in a children's Bible and I'm happy to read it and all that. That's, that's great. But I'm just here wondering, does God have anything to say to me? What does this have to do with me? This is just some remote dude in a faraway land and a faraway time. And I just don't get it. And that's fine that God did that for him. But what does this have to do with me? Is there anything relevant here? And the answer is yes. First off, I just want to say to you that this, though the story is not about you, it should matter deeply to you. The story isn't about you. You're right. You don't find yourself in the Joseph story. You don't find yourself being the hero or the villain or anything like that. But nonetheless, the story should matter deeply to you because it's the story of God making good on his promises. That he's saying he's going to bring about salvation and lo and behold, he's actually doing it. That God is powerful enough to see things through. That he told Eve and he told Abraham and he told Isaac and he told Jacob and he's been rehearsing this promise over and over again. And as you read through it, you begin to recognize God is actually going to do it and he's powerful enough to accomplish it. So what that does for us then is it should give us great confidence. If God is that cool, if he's that powerful and he has made promises to bring about salvation and undo the effects of the, the curse, then no matter what apparent detours the storyline takes, we should be able to say, he's going to do it. And that should matter deeply to each of us. If God is saying that one day there's, there's a promised one who's coming, who's going to undo the effects of sin, and that's going to change my life, and that's going to change all of eternity. And by the way, God is powerful enough to see that through. That means something for me. That's very relevant. Maybe that doesn't do it for you. Maybe that's not scratching where you itch. So here's another thing that I think is really important for us to consider. What if God, just like he was divinely orchestrating the life of Joseph, what if he's also able to do that for you? What if God is not absent in your misfortunes? What if he's not remote and removed from the things that you're going through? But what if he's actually kind of working behind the scenes, if you will, or through those details or through the situations that you're going through? And what if God is actually doing something in your life that in the, in the end, you'll be able to look back and say, man, God is good. But maybe not in the moment. But in the end, you'll be able to look back and say, God was at work in my life all along. And these different things that happened to me, these different poor choices that I made that had negative consequences, God was still at work in my life bringing about 
his intentions for me. Uh, the book of Romans puts it like this. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God is able to take things that we might interpret as negative and wrong and evil and wicked. And he's able to turn it on his head and say, I will use that for good. I will accomplish what I want to accomplish, even through the, the midst of, of brokenness and challenge and difficulty. That's what's happening in Joseph's life. And, and I would suggest as a pastor, that's also happening in your life. That the things that you're going through and the challenges and the trials and and all this stuff that you might interpret very negatively, when, we, when, when all the details finally come through, we might be able to say God's hidden hand of providence was there all along. And he was doing something good and beautiful. So first off, Joseph is sent. Secondly, we find out that he was tested in verses 18 and 19. He was tested. You see the word come up in um, verse 19. It says, the Lord proved him true. But that word proved you know, that's one way to interpret it. Some of the other versions say tested him. Um, basically what was happening was Joseph was going through this lifetime of experiences and God was trying him or testing him to make him into a certain kind of individual. So it's snowing right now, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, when I was younger, one of the things that I would do when it would snow like this is I would go into our yard at my parents' house and I would get, gather up all the snow. And they have heavy equipment out there, so it could be pretty impressive. One time, I took all of the snow from their yard, and I built a half pipe for snowboarding. But one time, I built a, a drop-in ramp to a big, you know, to a big jump, essentially. And here's what you have to do after you build something. You have to test it. You have to make sure, you have to prove that it's going to work how you intended it to work. And so before I'd send my brothers down this thing, which, you know, maybe I, some days I would have done that. But before I send a brother down or a friend down, I'd say, okay, I'm going to try this thing out. I'm going to test it. I'm going to make sure that it works according to, you know, my design that I was hoping that it would do. And you'd, I'd fly down the ramp and fly off the jump and, yeah, okay, it worked or we need to tweak it. But that's, that's what's happening here. There's this testing. There's something that needs to happen to say, this thing is going to work according to design. And God does that to his people. He will test us in order to reveal kind of who we really are. I mean, it's one thing to say I'm a follower of God in theory, but to actually be a functional believer in God when life gets messy, that's a whole nother thing. I, anyone can say, yeah, I follow God. I believe in him. I, I trust him. But it's when life is falling apart that the reality gets shown for what it is that you're tested and you're proven. In fact, in Psalm 66, another place uh, uses the same exact language and it puts it like this. It says, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. It's saying, God, you are able to, in my life, you're able to test me and refine me. You are able to reveal what's really going on, to prove the real quality of my faith and then to help me make adjustments along the way so I might become what you really want for me. Deuteronomy 8 2 says the same thing. It says that while they were wandering around in the desert wilderness, God was testing them to reveal their heart. Here's what God does. He brings us through situations, through trials, through difficulties, and he is showing us what's really happening. He's proving us to be a certain kind of way. So look at verse 19. Um, verse 18, let's back up. It says, they bruised his feet with shackles 
His neck was put in irons. He, he, he went through these, these difficult scenarios. He was sold into slavery. He was imprisoned for something he didn't do. And all of that interpreted through the eyes of faith are viewed according to the Bible as God was refining him. He was testing him. Look at verse 19. Until what he foretold came to pass, until the word of the Lord proved him true. In other words, he was going through all of these different things in his life. And God was using that to make Joseph into the kind of person he needed to be. A person of faith. A person who believed God even when things didn't look like they were going according to God's plan. God was wielding all these different scenarios to make him into this individual of faith. Now, here's the truth that I've found out. God does this for us as well. And here's what I've found out from personal experience. It's never fun. And it's very often hard to embrace it, to say, okay, I understand God's at work here. It's hard to, to, to joyfully embrace God's refining and testing work in our lives. A few years ago, uh, before we launched the campus, but, but when I was in that season of restlessness, of saying, okay, God, I know you're calling me to something, and it looks a little different than what I'm presently doing, there was a restlessness. And I have a friend, uh, been friends with him for a long, long time, and we talk on the phone uh, pretty regularly, and I call him up, and we're talking about it, and I'm saying, man, this season is really, really hard. And I say to him, I wish I could fast track this season. I wish I could get through this season where there's this, you know, struggle and tension and, and uncertainty. And I wish I could get to that place where, you know, a church is planted or I'm pastoring in some location and I'm describing it to him. And I'm saying, I wish I could fast track this. And, and he wisely said to me, hey, Cor, that's not how it works, right? Everyone would love the fast track. Everyone would love to get to the final destination, but here's what God is doing. He is doing something in the process. He is testing us and trying us along the way so that when we get there, we're actually ready for it. So talking to many of you and understanding the, the depth of difficulties, the misfortunes that some of you are presently going through, I want to try to readjust the way that we talk about those things. Some of us look at our circumstances and we say this, if only I could get past this season, okay? If these circumstances could change, right? Maybe you're in a workplace that you don't love right now. And you're thinking, if I could just quit this job and get my dream job, that's when the real action is going to happen. God will get me there and I will be able to embrace the vocation that God has designed for me. And I will be such an awesome worker and I will accomplish great things for God when I get there. But this circumstance, I don't like it. And I just want to get beyond it. Or we're in a relationship right now that's just really, really hard, whether it's a family relationship or a significant other. And we look at it and we go, I don't like this. I wish this would change. I wish the situation that I'm in right now were different so that I didn't have to deal with the stress and the anxiety and the challenge of trying to navigate this thing. Some, some people would even say, I, don't, I wish my spouse were different or I wish I had a different spouse. But if something could change here, then I could be happy. And then the real plan of God could be a, a live option in my life. And we're trying to change the, the challenge and get it out of our way. Or there are lots of other things that we might look at and say, look, this is just not how I thought it was going to work. I didn't think I was going to be stuck in Illinois paying these taxes. If I could just get north a little ways or whatever you might place in there. But we're just thinking, this is not where I want to be. 
But what if God is saying to us, maybe that'll come later on, but let's live in the moment. What if the testing is a part of God's intention for you? What if the situation that you're in right now is actually meant to reveal your, your heart? And it's actually meant to reveal whether or not you're going to live by faith in what God is doing. And you participating in this moment is just as important as what it will be like on the other side. Because he is proving us to be true. He is working in and through us to make us the people he wants us to be. So let's embrace this moment and say, if this is where God has me right now, then right now I am going to obey by faith. He has me in this neighborhood with these people. He has me in this vocation working with these different individuals. I'm not looking to hit eject to get to the next thing. I'm trying to figure out how can I be faithful right here, right now. God is testing me. Maybe that's true of you. Maybe that's what you needed to hear this morning, that God is at work in your life right now. And it is not a matter of changing circumstances. It's a matter of changing perspective. Begin to view everything through those eyes of faith. All right, thirdly, we see that Joseph is triumphant in verses 20 to 22. He's triumphant. The dreams that he had at the beginning of the story begin to come true. He's freed from imprisonment. Look at verse 20. The king sent and released him. The ruler of peoples set him free. He was, he was liberated from that experience of incarceration. He was wrongly accused, placed in prison, and now God was opening the doors for him. The king was sending for him and releasing him from that position of um, being in prison. Secondly, he was placed in charge, verse 21. He made him master of the household, ruler over all he possessed. This is triumph here. This is when the, the fruit of a lifetime of faithfulness is now in play. Now he is the ruler over Egypt. This is, this is wild stuff. But this is how God works. If we are faithful through that trial and through that testing and we're proven to be individuals of faith, we can look forward confidently that we too will be triumphant. Now, whether that means on this side of glory or the next, it doesn't matter so much, but we can be confident that all the promises that God says to his followers are going to come true. And we will, we, we will experience liberation. We will experience liberation from oppression. And we will experience the, the ability to have this influence and sway just like Joseph did, whether that's, again, in this life or in the life to come. But, but these promises will come true. Finally, his destiny is realized in verse 22. Look at it. He was placed as ruler over all that was possessed. Look at verse 22. To instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. I got hung up on this verse this week because it's one of those verses that you could easily read over and just go, uh-huh, 10-4, roger that over and out, move right on past it without even thinking about what it means. But, but look at this. It's saying that Joseph, in his position, that he didn't plan for himself. I mean, he didn't draft out a plan for his life, reverse engineer, go, here's where I want to be someday in Egypt as the ruler doing this thing. No, 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 no. He, providentially, he lands there. But what is he doing when he gets there? He is teaching the wisdom of God to everyone. That's a really wild concept. I, I took a course on missions called Perspectives and became an online grader for, for it for a little bit. But in that course on, on missions, they talked a lot about this concept that really stood out to me. There are missionaries who volunteer themselves, okay? I will learn a language. I will go to a new culture. 
I will discomfort myself for the sake of advancing the mission. There are people who do that in the Bible and in church history. But oftentimes there are people who end up embracing their missionary identity, not because they intended to, but simply because that's where they landed. Think of Jonah being a missionary to the Ninevites against his will. He was very reluctant. But here's what we have in the story of Joseph. We have Joseph landing in Egypt. And what is he doing? He's teaching the princes and the rulers of the land the wisdom of God. That's a wild concept to me. That Joseph was able to embrace that missionary identity of the people of God. What did God say when he called Abraham? He said, I will bless you so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You are the people of God for the sake of other people. And they don't embrace that very readily. The people of God, myself included, we don't often embrace that and go, yes, please. I will discomfort myself for the sake of others. But sometimes we land in a place and here's what we find ourselves doing. The mission of God. We embrace the identity and we begin to live out of it. And so here's what I'm saying to you. Some of you are in the place that you're at right now and God is platforming you. You might not even be aware. It might be inadvertent. You know, you're there and you don't even realize you've got coworkers who will actually listen to you. They will listen to you talk about matters of faith. They won't come to our church. They won't come to hear me, but they'll listen to you around the water cooler. You, you go to certain locations. Maybe there's family members that you interact with that you are providentially there and God has placed you there. All you have to do is embrace the mission of God and doors will open and, and you will have opportunities to teach the wisdom of God in surprising ways. It really is an incredible concept, but God is calling us. I mean, it's one of the things that we really celebrate at our campus. We, we don't just want people to come here to hear a professional give talks. We want to equip and encourage you to go away from here and have ordinary talks that lead to significant eternal realities. God is placing you in the places that you're at so that you could be used for his glory. That's a part of what Joseph experiences here. He was able to instruct the princes as he pleased and teach the elders wisdom. The ways of God were being made known in the world because he was there. Now, I hope that we can say the ways of God are being made known in McChesney Park because we're here that they're being made known in your place of work because you're there, that they're being made known in your family because you are there. But God wants to use you and I want to encourage you to embrace that identity. All right, finally, let's look at this one last question before we wrap up. How does this story whisper the name of Jesus? That's what the subtitle is. Every story whispers his name. Okay, we can talk about Joseph all day long. That doesn't change us. Here's what changes us, talking about our Savior, to which the story of Joseph in every Bible story is leading us. How does the story whisper his name? Let me read to you what Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote here. It says, one day, this is, it's showing us that the story of Joseph finds a parallel. It kind of sets us up to understand the story of Jesus coming much later. Here's how she writes. One day, God will send another prince. A young prince like Joseph, whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good. To forgive the sins 
of the whole world. The story of Joseph, Joseph sets us up to understand the story of Jesus. That God loved us enough to send his son. That he loved us enough to send his son into the world. And, and though humanity rejects him and recoils from him, he was faithful. He was tempted like us in every way, but without sin. He went through trials and temptations. And the writer to Hebrews said that he learned obedience through the suffering that he went through. He was triumphant. It didn't appear so at first because he went to a cross and they crucified him. But he came back from the dead. He was resurrected. He came out of the tomb. The tomb was empty and he was alive. And he vindicated that he showed himself to be vindicated, that he conquered sin and death and the grave. And he is triumphant that at his name, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. He's Lord. He's the victorious one. The story of Joseph points us to the greater reality of the story of Jesus. God has sent his son for us. And we need to be people who, who believe in him, who trust in him, and who live by faith in the son of God. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads with me. I'll, I'll invite the band to come as well. But right now, let's be asking that question of our own souls. Do we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? God, thank you for our time in your word. Thank you that you've given us stories that point to our Savior. Help us to believe in him. For anyone in here who's not trusted in Christ for, for salvation, Lord, I pray right now that they would embrace that incredible, gracious offer that you are willing to die for them, that they can receive by grace through their faith in what he did, they can receive salvation today. You sent Jesus ahead to die for our sins, to save many lives. Lord, I pray for everyone in here that every individual in here would experience that salvation by placing their faith in him. Lord, for all of us, Lord, we recognize that you are providentially at work in our lives, that you are testing and trying us and making us more like your son. Help us to embrace that gladly. Help us to become the people you want us to be and help us to make known this incredible message of salvation to the very ends of the earth, starting in our own homes and backyards. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.